This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt of the Oracle of the Action Network at Rotoviz. Welcome to the March 16th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. Uh, I've been enjoying some March Madness, but uh, now it's NASCAR time. And uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about this uh, this podcast here. Oh, my. We do have a lot to talk about. Uh, so everyone, be sure to check out the midweek episode that we did to uh, kind of preview everything coming up with this race. But uh, more immediately, oh, man, uh, qualifying just finished. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. And uh, we have to talk about this uh, pre-qualifying inspection. Several cars did not pass in time to make a qualifying run. Uh, so a lot of big names are at the back of the field. What do you make of the inspection process uh, and the impact on DFS for this weekend? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's kind of wild because, um, you know, when it's 13 cars, you know, in the past we've had it, uh, some cars not make it through the, inspe- the pre-qualifying inspection process. But it's been like seven, maybe eight, uh, and, you know, maybe four or five, occasionally six big names. But this time it's 13 cars and uh, really all but like – Ross Chastain and uh, who's the other one? Timmy Hill are, are drivers you could theoretically consider playing. Oh, and Cole Witt, I guess, in terms of like drivers that could make their way forward uh, in, a, in a race. You know, so Case Kane, Jimmy Johnson, AJ Allmendinger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just a lot of names. So uh, it's it's going to be a wild weekend of of you know qualifying and or not qualifying of racing, just because all of these drivers are st- starting so far back. Um, and it makes it actually a little more interesting because in the past, you know, that um, when these things happen, uh, cash game lineups often set themselves. But with so many drivers back here, uh, it's not going to make lineup selection easy because there's a lot of drivers now to choose from starting in the back. So it will create more variation than normal when we have kind of these issues. But um, the other thing is like a lot of people I, I, I noticed on Twitter are trying to blame NASCAR, but really – uh, I think it's a twofold problem. The first problem is the teams are trying to push the envelope, so they're using uh, you know cars that are out of tolerance or illegal, uh, and so that part is on the teams. 
The other part is on NASCAR, though. There is a part, I think, that's on NASCAR in not making the penalty harsh enough for these uh, teams that fail qualifying inspection. Their only drawback for them is they're starting in the back. But, you know, if, if we made a harsher penalty, like you have to start one lap down or something like that, uh, that would be a really interesting penalty. It would make these teams a little more uh, willing to comply with, uh, you know, tolerance levels um, for, for different parts and pieces of the car. Here's, I mean, there's so much to, to talk about with uh, the inspection process, but uh, NASCAR is being more uh, vigilant in the inspection process this year, right? Yeah, um, so it's it's a different process, I guess, but uh, um, I wouldn't say more vigilant, but they have a new laser inspection system that is going to, um, instead of using the old templates and different templates for each manufacturer, et cetera, they've got a laser inspection system that makes everything super precise. So there is no way that a team can get by um, these days. So well, it, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of what exactly. I mean. So yeah. well, so I mean, they're, they're as vigilant as ever, but now they have a measurement system that's more precise. Yeah, right. So like I think in the past you probably had a whole bunch of teams who were. Uh, cutting edges, cutting corners, getting away with things, and NASCAR wasn't catching it. And then now, because NASCAR has a more precise means of actually doing inspection, they are catching it. And the teams, uh, the the teams aren't adjusting fast enough. And also, and you mentioned it, um, they have very little incentive not to try to cheat with the cars because all they're doing is going back and the drivers who are good enough can move up through the field anyway. And the drivers who are going to be starting near the back anyway, what do they have to lose? Exactly. And it's even crazier this weekend at a track like auto club because they almost have an advantage starting in the back because you have to start the race on your qualifying tires. And we know auto club is a high tire wear track. So these drivers that went through three rounds of qualifying, they have three qualifying speed laps on their tires and the warm-up laps to you know, to get up to speed on them, whereas the guys who didn't go through inspection at all has zero laps. So they have at least three lap fresher tires, probably more because of the warm-up laps. So you're going to see these guys come flying through the field at the start. It's not a hindrance at Auto Club, a wide two-mile track with high tire wear. They're going to become flying. They're going to come flying through the field. It's almost an advantage here for them to have not passed inspection. That's that's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, really. Yeah, as you mentioned, it, it would be much more beneficial to the sport if NASCAR made the the penalties harsher. I mean, do you think um, do you think cars are still getting through? Like maybe some of them are getting caught for some things, but other cars aren't getting caught for other things. Or you think now NASCAR is catching a hundred percent of all of the infractions in these uh, these pre qualifying inspections? Yeah, I don't know if it's 100%, but it's certainly a lot closer to 100%. And um, if you watched qualifying, you know, different teams are doing different things. Uh, so the Hendrick team, they said it was something around the rear deck lid um, and the Hendrick's team. And then, you know, the, I think the Fords probably had a different issue. Clint Boyer and Eric Almarola. Uh, I don't know if Denny Hamlin and Daniel Suarez had a different issue. But uh, it seems like most of the cars, almost all of the cars, uh, that uh, more than half were Chevrolets. So... Of the 13 yeah. cars, only four of them were non-Chevys. So uh, it definitely seems like there was an issue maybe in general with the Chevys or, or just Chevy teams pushing the envelope. All four Hendrick cars starting in the back. Um, you know, you've got 
Uh, AJ Allmendinger starting in the back. Um, but it does seem to be kind of a team thing. Like you don't see any of the Penske cars starting back there, but you do see two Stuart Haas Fords. You don't see the, the Roush Fords though, but like you said, you see the two Stuart Haas Fords back there, two of the four. So, um, and then half of the JGR team. So it does seem to be kind of a team based thing and maybe different teams are trying to do different things and getting away, trying to get away with it. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I was actually going to ask that and, and it makes sense. One, uh, I think that it, that the infractions would seem to be a little more Chevy heavy uh, just because they do have the, the new vehicle there. And then also if it is something that seems to divide more along teams. Uh, okay. We have much more to talk about. A lot of it will hinge around uh, the fact that a lot of guys didn't even make qualifying runs. Uh, but before that, I need to remind everyone that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content and your subscription supports the pod. Okay, Nick, uh, with so many big drivers not qualifying, how do you differentiate between all of them? How do you pick the guys that you are looking to, uh, to actually roster for DFS? Yeah, I think um, this is kind of a two-part answer, and, and some of it is cash game dependent, and then some of it is GPP dependent. But for cash games, I really do want to be price sensitive um, because there are so many. You can build a pretty solid team of place differential guys if you're price sensitive. So, um, you know, if you choose, for example, Chase Elliott for cash games, it's going to be a lot harder to fit more of these guys starting back here or maybe another dominator than if you're price sensitive and, and, and take Daniel Suarez, who's starting one spot in front of Chase Elliott. So for cash games, I really want to be price sensitive uh, because a lot of these guys will be moving forward anyway. I mean, look at the names starting in front of them. Reed Sorensen, Jeffrey Earnhardt, Michael McDowell, David Reagan, Greg Galding, Matthew Benedetto, Daryl Wallace Jr., Ty Dillon. I mean, some of these guys are just going to blow by these guys in the first lap or two, uh, and most of these guys will. Um, so... Uh, you really want to be price sensitive when a lot of these guys can pick up a lot of place differential. Uh, as far as GPPs, though, you want upside. And so for upside, you really do need to go back to the stats that we're talking about. Uh, the last eight races, um, how's the driver done? So 50% weighted this year since we've had four races this year and 50% the last four races of last year. Uh, track type dominance, so dominance at the large ovals. Uh, and then obviously once we get uh, final practice, either the 10 lap practice speed or the combined average practice speed, which uh, if you didn't hear the midweek podcast, make sure you go back and listen to that. But uh, the combined practice speed, so either the 10 lap or the combined practice speed, that'll be the most important factor. That's the one that showed up in all of the top 30 models this weekend. Okay. Only 200 laps. So with that number, it seems that dominators tend to be less significant anyway. Uh, but how do you balance dominators with all of the different uh, place differential possibilities. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting because 200 is right around that number where like they're important, but uh, they're not as important. Obviously, it's a 267 lap race like we had at Vegas two weeks ago, or 312 like we had at Phoenix last weekend, or 325 like we had at Atlanta three weekends ago. So uh, you know, it definitely reduces the maximum amount of dominator points available, both laps led and fastest laps. Uh, so. You still want to get a dominator or two in your lineup if there are multiple dominators. Um, maybe maybe there will be three dominators, but that third dominator will probably maybe not even be worth it compared to some of these place differential plays. You could go from the 30s into the top 10 finishing positions. Uh, so you, I, I think the for GPPs, you're probably going to want to take one to two dominators would be my guess. Um, and then 
uh, even though there could be three, you know, at Auto Club, I think you probably want to pick one to two and then uh, fill out your roster with place differential plays and then and then uh, price sensitive plays as well, like uh, Joe Dirt Cheap Drivers if you're if you're using uh, a lot of expensive guys or or building different roster constructions. But I, really, we need to probably devalue dominators this weekend. Um, you can sprinkle in a couple three dominator lineups if you're multi-entering, but I would say mostly one and two dominators, probably two. Um, I don't think you know it's going to be to the point where uh, if two drivers dominate, that they won't be in the winning lineup. So I'd say most of the most of the time, two dominators with uh, leaning towards some ones if you're going away from two, and then some threes as well if you're multi-entering. But uh, yeah, that's where I think. And then you know, like I said, the rest will be mostly these place differential plays here in the back. Okay, so uh, besides dominators and place differential plays, uh, another roster construction would be stars and scrubs versus a more balanced approach. Uh, so it seems like between the dominators and the big drivers, starting in the back, a stars and scrubs a, a strategy might be preferable. Uh, is that a correct assessment, uh, or how are you thinking about this? Yeah, I actually I think people will uh, try to attack it that way. I mean, there's a lot of big names starting up front as well. Um, Martin Truex Jr. is on the pole. Kyle Busch is second. Uh, Kyle Larson is third. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick's in the top ten, and all of these drivers could be potential dominators. So they're expensive. They're all over. All of these guys I just named um, are are over ten thousand uh, dollars. You know, it's a uh, it's it's definitely a lot of lot of salary right there, and then you've got all these expensive guys: Chase Elliott, Jimmy Johnson, Denny Hamlin, starting in the back. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people will go stars and scrubs, but I think the overlooked roster construction will be the more balanced approach. So, uh, you know, for GPPs, I'll definitely be throwing some more balanced type lineups in. It's not that I'm not going to have a dominator or two. You know, maybe you do something like. Truex and, and Larson or Kyle Busch and Larson or whoever, uh, you do two of those guys, but then you start to fill out with lower eight, mid eight, lower eight K, seven K guys, uh, and complete your roster that way. So you can avoid a Joe Dirt cheap and maybe go with somebody like, uh, you know, Casey Kane starting 34 through $6,100 instead of do- dropping down into like the 4K range. So, um, I do think the preferred construction will be stars and scrubs, but I don't think it's a necessity this weekend. Uh, I, I definitely think, um, you know, a balanced approach can work very well this weekend. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Kevin Harvick's. His team was assessed uh, with an L1 penalty, and this week uh, another top team got busted for an L1 penalty. Chase Elliott's number nine team uh, was assessed with an L1 penalty at Phoenix. Uh, the team was penalized 25 driver points and 25 owner points. Crew chief Alan Gustafson has been fined $50,000 Car chief Josh Kirk has been suspended for two races. What was the penalty for, and how do you think that's going to impact the team going forward? Yeah, so um, the the team was penalized for, uh, and I'm quoting here, uh, rear suspension and trailing arm angles slash pinion angle shins. So uh, that all sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook, but essentially – uh, they had kind of a, a suspension issue and, and weren't adhering to the rules. And the, the, essentially the, the thing that they were doing was allowing more side force uh, on the car. And that's a good thing, especially at Phoenix, because it'll help you turn a little bit better. Uh, and we saw Chase Elliott had a very good car at Phoenix. So now they get this penalty. I'm sure they'll be under uh, heavy scrutiny going forward, just like we saw with uh, Logano last year. You know, Harvick, this 
past weekend had his penalty, but then he still ended up winning the race. So in general, I don't think these penalties are a big deal for performance, although we can't rule out the fact that what we saw last year with Logano, it did happen, and then it really affected not just his performance, but the whole team Penske performance. Brad Keselowski, uh, from basically that same point forward, also had some issues. So I think, obviously, it's going to affect the way the team does things. Uh, we kind of see it this weekend. The Hendrick cars haven't been the strongest, but they also haven't been the strongest all year. And, and maybe this is just something that slows down their development of their car, at least for the Hendrick team or, or for um, the nine team specifically. So uh, I wouldn't say it's a huge deal, but it could de- maybe delay um, just by a little bit, uh, you know, the team trying to find new tricks to to uh, make their car better and improve their car. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough to say, but the Hendrick cars already haven't been that great. Uh, and so, you know, it certainly doesn't help them any. All right. Uh, Kevin Harvick was one of the drivers you highlighted in the midweek show. He's coming off three wins in a row. He's now 11500 That's $100 more than he was priced last week at Phoenix, which is his best track. Uh, at what point is his salary just too high, and is that uh, sort of dependent based on the track or the race? Um, the, yeah, this is a tough question because it. I think a lot of it depends on if he dominates, right? So uh, if if he leads 150 laps, I don't care if his price tag is $1,500. Uh, if he's going to lead 150 laps and have 60 fastest laps, um, that's going to justify a 15, you know, $1,500 price tag. But uh, if he doesn't lead laps, um, you know, it's really starting to get prohibitive up around the upper 10K, lower 11K range, and now we're at mid-11K. So if he's not going to be dominant here, he's not worth playing, especially starting 10th. It's not enough. I mean, maybe maybe there's enough to get him to, you know, if he wins the race again, he's probably worth it. But if he wins the race, he probably will also dominate a portion of the race. But if he finishes second, I mean, that's eight spots for place differential. Uh, that's uh, 40 42 points, so that's 50 points. 50 points plus whatever he picks up in some random fastest laps and uh, maybe a handful of laps led if he doesn't dominate. You know, he's, you're talking 55 points, something like that. That's less than 5K. You want more than 5K from your expensive drivers. Uh, so it's probably not enough if he doesn't dominate uh, and or doesn't win. So we really want to see practice beat from Kevin Harvick this weekend. The good thing for Harvick this weekend, he was number one in opening practice uh, he was number one in qualifying one. He was number one in qualifying two. The issue here was with qualifying three. And the secondary issue is not only uh, did he qualify 10th, uh, even though he may have the best car, they have to start on their qualifying tires. So he has three lap old tires, but so does everybody else starting up there. The problem really comes because he slid in final qualifying. He had a wiggle coming out of turn two, which killed his lap. And that wiggle probably also shot his tires even more. So I don't expect him to lead at all in the opening segment until they get to their at least their first pit stops. And then he probably will still have to work his way through the field. So it's going to be tough for him to dominate this weekend. So, um, you know, it, it's not impossible that he ends up in the winning lineup. Obviously, he should have some percentage of him. But I think he might end up going a little over-owned, especially if he puts up, like, great practice times. I kind of hope he puts, like, just the killer 10 lap average out there and uh, everybody plays them. And then I can go underweight on them because I don't expect them to dominate for the first 40, 50 laps or so. And it's only a 200 lap race. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's race dependent. It's track dependent. You're at this price tag, his worst tracks or, or tracks he's not practicing at. Well, it's very hard to play him, um, but it's also race dependent in like the number of laps. There's 200 laps. And if he's all, you can almost write him off for the first quarter of the race in terms of dominating. Uh, that's not a good thing there. So 
It's going to be tough to play Kevin Harvick this weekend, in my opinion. All right. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, really interesting situation. In the midweek pod, you talked about avoiding him for a third straight week. Uh, He practiced in opening practice 14th, uh, but because of the qualifying situation, he's 32nd. So how do you approach him, given the fact that he's struggled up to this point in the season? Uh, He's $9,000, and he's starting 32nd. Yeah, and uh, now we have this issue with Chase Elliott, and I don't know if that'll you know permeate through the whole team as well. But uh, you look at you know even if you look at practice, just in general practices. I know we're talking about Jimmy Johnson. I'm going off a little tangent here, but practice really stratified by teams. The first three cars in opening practice: Harvick, Boyer, Almirola, all Stuart Haas. Uh, you see the the Richard Childress cars, Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman, both practiced inside the top nine. Then uh, so right after those three Fords. You had the Kyle Larson Chevy, but then you had three Joe Gibbs cars right there. If you look at all the Penske cars, uh, which I'm lumping Menard in there, they're all they all practiced opening practice between 17th and 23rd. So all four cars right there between 17 and 23 practice really stratified by teams. And if we see that continuing this weekend, um, that may help us get on or off uh, somebody like Jimmy Johnson. So what I'm going to be looking for with Jimmy Johnson is how the Hendrick cars do on the long run. Uh, in final practice and uh, especially final practice. But if these guys don't do 10 lap averages and where are they in the combined average practice as well? Uh, Because I do think this will end up stratifying by teams. We're still early enough in the season where some of these teams may or may not have gotten a handle on the car. Uh, Auto clubs, a big track is really error dependent, but then there's also the tire wear component. So this definitely has the uh, race that has the ability to stratify by team. As far as Johnson himself, um, you know, he still is a tough play just in general because he's $9,000. It's not like he's 85 or 83 or 8,200 where I think he probably should be right now given his results uh, and given his performance recently. Um, but, uh, you know, he's $9,000. So, um, you know, do you use him in cash games? That's a tough call. I mean, if you want to be price sensitive, maybe not. But uh, maybe there's a point where you're price sensitive enough in cash games that you can still throw him in there. Um, as far as GPPs, there's a lot of big names back there. Uh, but the one thing Johnson does have as an advantage is he's starting a lot further back than guys like Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin didn't qualify, but he started 25th. Jimmy Johnson starting uh, 32nd or, or 33rd NASCAR has a different source than uh, what the TV Fox News or Fox News, Fox Sports gave. Uh, so um, still a little bit of confusion there. But uh, anyway, uh, but Jimmy Johnson starting either 32nd or 33rd. Um, will be interesting just because, you know, he has a lot more, eight more, seven or eight more place differential spots he could potentially get than Denny Hamlin or Clint Boyer in 26th or Al Morrill in 27th. So how do I approach him this weekend? I actually think he's a driver. I kind of just want to be equal weight on the field. So I'm going to kind of see where the model predicts him uh, and then probably just end up being equal weight on him because I think it could go either way. Like he could, he could have a classic Jimmy Johnson performance. Um, He's good at these high tire wear tracks. He's, he's performed well at auto club in the past. Uh, or he could just be the Jimmy Johnson that continues to struggle. So I don't have a, uh, a super strong take. And I know it, you know, people are probably disappointed that I don't, but, uh, like I said, I think I'll hinge on how the team performs and then where the model projects Jimmy Johnson. And I'll probably want to be kind of equal weight with him. Okay. Are there any drivers who have surprised you this weekend in terms of, uh, their practice performance relative to their track type history? Um, yeah, I mean, this one's kind of, it's instead of drivers, it's more like teams. I'm just impressed by, you know, the RCR team putting two cars in the top nine and opening practice, two cars in the top nine and qualifying. Uh, obviously there was the qualifying fiasco, but at least, uh, 
of the cars that did qualify, they were they were pretty fast. Um, you know, Ryan Newman and Austin Dillon qualified with Kevin Harvick, for example, and Keselowski. Uh, and then, of course, I think you have to be a little bit disappointed in the Penske's, the Blaney, Lagana, Keselowski, Paul Menard. Uh, they've just they've not found the speed this weekend. Uh, you know, it really does seem like the Stewart Haas cars are are fast. Uh, two of them didn't make a qualifying run, Eric Almirall and Clint Boyer. The other, Kevin Harvick, was super fast throughout practice and qualifying up until sliding his tires in the last qualifying session. So he's really good. Um, Kurt Busch has been the one that's kind of maybe been a little bit off of the, the Stuart Haas cars. But, uh, yeah, I think the Stuart Haas ones have been super impressive. And uh, you know, I think on the disappointing side, you probably have to look at – and the RCR cars have been impressive. I think on the disappointing side, you have to look at, at Penske and uh, Paul Menard there at the Wood Brothers. Okay, let's talk about dominators. Who are the top candidates to dominate the race uh, with the caveat that we haven't seen final practice yet? Sure. Um, and uh, I think obviously the three big names right up there starting one, two, three are going to be the three most likely dominator candidates. One thing that will definitely uh, kind of help us differentiate between those three is final practice. Um, I want to say number one is probably Kyle Busch at this point in time. He starts on the same front row as Martin Truex Jr., but we saw Martin Truex Jr. have restart issues last weekend. If he continues to have those restart issues, I could see Kyle Busch nabbing him on that early start. Alternatively, you know, Kyle Larson will probably start right behind either Busch or Truex, depending on if Truex picks the inside or outside line. Um, but uh, Kyle Larson could get the jump and, and, and get past Truex, and uh, he's very good at Auto Club Speedway. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Bush or Kyle Larson also did. So. I think my preferred order is probably number one, Kyle Busch, number two, Kyle Larson, and number three, Martin Truex Jr., which is really weird for saying Martin Truex Jr. is on the pole, but uh, I only rate him as my third most likely dominator. Now, of course, we'll still have to see practice and how that plays out, but uh, right now I would go Kyle Busch one, Kyle Larson two, and Martin Truex Jr. three. So you mentioned that last week Truex had some struggles with his restarts. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that and kind of like specifically in a, a bigger picture sense? Like, what is it that makes a guy better than another guy at restarting? Or what is it that could make a guy uh, particularly susceptible to having poor restarts? Sure. Um, so uh, restarts are important because you have to come up through the gears. Uh, so you're, you're coming from 60 or 100 miles an hour, whatever the pace car speed is. And then you have to get up through second gear, third gear, fourth gear. Uh, so you have to be precise with your shifts, your timing of your shifts, uh, you know, engaging the clutch and all that stuff. But uh, you also don't want to spin your tires when you initially press the gas. So if you spin your tires and, you know, they're kind of spinning and spinning but not actually pushing you forward, A, you're wearing the tires out because you're just spinning them on, on asphalt. Uh, and B, you're not actually getting any traction going forward. So uh, that slows you down. So um, it's, it's, it's a lot about car control. And some of these drivers are just amazing car control like Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson. Uh, are, are guys that are just awesome at restarts. Also, generally aggressive. Um, Kurt Busch is another one who's been really good at restarts in the past. Um, one place you can go to look at restart statistics is motorsportsanalytics.com. It is a you know you have to subscribe to it and and get the stats from them. Um, you know, like you do Rotovis, you subscribe to Rotovis and get the app, access to the apps and stuff. When you subscribe to motorsportsanalytics.com, you can get access to their restart data. Um, but uh, 
Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch have definitely been great restarters over the you know over the past. Truex last year was was up there, but um, you know there's times I've seen him have issues on restarts, and there's times I've seen him have great restarts. So I think he has a little bit wider range of outcomes than drivers like Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson, who generally almost always make up time or, or ground on these restarts. All right, uh, you've talked about some of the high price guys uh, starting near the front and starting near the back. Any other guys priced above eighty five hundred that you like? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're just going to go to the name starting all the way in the back. Um, above 8,500, you're either looking at the Dominators, like I said, uh, or probably, you know, Denny Hamlin and Jimmy Johnson are starting 25th and 33rd, respectively. I don't really think you can count Ryan Blaney in eighth, given that he has, you know, the Penske's look a little bit slower. Don't think you can count really Keselowski in 11th, uh, unless he does some kind of strategy play. Um, you know, I might have some Keselowski exposure, but uh, in general, I think you're looking at either the Dominators or or the super place differential guys at 8,500 and above. Okay, are there any mid-price drivers like between uh, 7,000 and 8,500 who are catching your eye for either cash games or GPPs? Yeah, um, obviously Almirola and Boyer starting way back there. Alex Bowman, 7,600. Uh, he actually was the best of the uh, Hendrick cars in opening practice. And Daniel Suarez, of course, is seven thousand dollars there. Um, I will say it, it'll be tough to play Jamie McMurray. He is starting fifteenth, which is further back than guys like Newman or Dylan or whatever. But he struggled over his last eight, uh, and especially this year, they've, they've struggled. They haven't gotten off to a great start. And only fifteenth out of uh, twenty-four cars in qualifying is not that great either. So um, Jamie McMurray is probably a name I'll be avoiding this weekend in that range. But uh, again, you're mostly going with those place differential plays. One name that I think uh, you could possibly throw into the mix is either Ricky Stenhouse Jr. or Ryan Newman as like a really contrarian GPP play if they're gonna if you know if the model just projects them to be like incredibly low owned because of this uh, you know kind of bifurcation we have where uh, you're either gonna be doing stars and scrubs or maybe some of these mid tier type rosters. Either way, I think you you kind of are leaving out Stenhouse in those rosters um, just because if you're playing the mid tier guys, you're probably playing guys like Bowman, Boyer, Almirola, etc. Um, so we'll have to see if he has a really like a good 10 lap average in final practice, or, you know, if he, if he looks good in final practice is happy with his car, I might sprinkle him in a little bit and be a little overweight if the model is going to be really, uh, down on his ownership percentage. Okay. What about the kind of quote unquote values here? The guy's 6,000 to 7,000. Um, it's a small tier this week. Uh, there's only six drivers. Um, so it'd be Menard, William Byron, Bubba Wallace, Ty Dillon, Casey Kane, and AJ Allmendinger. Uh, everybody else is not in that range. So um, in the value tier, I guess William Byron starting 29th, Casey Kane starting 34th. Uh, outside of that, I don't think you can really play Ty Dillon starting 17th. There's too many cars that are going to pass him that are too fast. Uh, Paul Menard starting 14th with the way the, the Penske's have looked. Um, Ty Dillon, or sorry, Bubba Wallace starting 19th, maybe a little more palatable. Maybe you could sprinkle him in a little bit. But uh, still pretty tough back there. So, again, you're going with a guy starting all the way in the back with Casey Kane and William Byron. All right. Joe Dirt Cheap, who do you like? Uh, well, we got a pretty big Joe Dirt Cheap tier, and I almost think we need to, like, expand it uh, or can shrink it down to, like, 5,500 and under the, going forward because, um, you know, there's guys like Trevor Baines, 5,800. Chris Busher's 5,700. These guys should be more expensive, but they're not – because uh, I think DraftKings is trying to like stretch out the top tier a little bit more, which is a good thing. Um, and that brings in guys like Bain and Busher down uh, to compensate, I guess. But uh, they're not really playable. They start 13th and 12th, respectively, Bain and Busher. 
Um, you know, McDowell starts 22nd, David Reagan starts 21st. There's way too many guys that are just going to be faster than them. What you're probably doing is you're probably playing these guys, Colwitt or Ross Chastain, who are starting 37th and 36th. I uh, don't think you can get away with Timmy Hill in 35th because he's going to be slower than everybody. So he's probably going to fall back to 37th anyway. Um, you're really only counting on some attrition and him actually finishing the race and gaining like six or seven spots from attrition. He's still going to lose two on speed. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's it's not really a, a play you can make with Timmy Hill there much. But uh, it really seems to be Cole Witt and Ross Chastain because of what happening happened with qualifying. All right. Uh, Nick, remind everyone about the content schedule for this weekend. Yep, content schedule, uh, same as any other normal weekend, but uh, that will be uh, the article will come out right after qualifying. I hope I'm, you know, like last weekend, I'm going to try to do the article uh, as much as I can ahead of time so that uh, all I have to do is some final updates after qualifying, hit publish within 30, 45 minutes after qualifying, then work on getting the apps updated. Um, and uh, so that'll probably be another. 40, 35, 40 minutes after that. Um, so, you know, within an hour and a half, we'll have everything updated on Rotoviz, all the apps, the article out uh, after final qualifying. Then I'll probably, um, you know, I think I'll just end up doing my uh, uh, Action Network betting article as soon as lines come out. It usually takes a couple hours after um, final practice for lines to come out. I know last weekend it took several hours, four or five hours uh, after final practice for lines to come out. But as soon as they come out, I'll end up uh, writing that article. And then um, Sunday morning, uh, Rotoviz Live will be three hours before lineup lock, and that is going to be 12:30 Eastern, 9:30 a.m. Pacific. Will be Rotoviz Live on my Twitch page, Twitch.tv/Tecate. All right, everyone, be sure to check out all of that stuff. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.